All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, what's up, YouTube? What's up, Instagram? Um, this is going to be another live stream from the road. Uh, I'm going to put this down here. All right, I can see it. Okay, great. Um, welcome. Welcome to another edition of the uh, From the Road pod. Not podcast, but uh, live stream. What's up, Chris? Uh, what's up, Joseph? What's up, Taba? Uh, from Phoenix, Arizona today, I'm here playing a gig tomorrow night at the Nash, uh, it's a great jazz club. And then Sunday going on to, uh, LA to play at the blue whale. So that's great. Uh, and today there was lots and lots of great questions and, uh, I don't have unlimited time. So I'm going to try to jump right into the questions. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, the new record cast of characters came out, um, Friday, last Friday, 228. And now we've been a lot of great people giving a lot of good feedback to the record. It's climbing up the radio charts. Should uh, should get on there by next week. Uh, some great reviews came out this week. Jazz Times uh, came out today. I'll be sharing that on social soon. Uh, and uh, just Step Tempest, which is a great online blog. There's a cool review of. But uh, as always, feel free to drop in some questions here on the uh, live stream. Hopefully I'll see them. They're kind of hiding in the cup holder right now. But... Uh, I'm going to jump in. This is some really great questions. I'm going to try to do some faster ones, kind of rapid fire here. And then uh, there's some also some really great ones that could be a whole episode kind of into themselves. So I'm just going to try to jump right in and see how we go. So Nathan Davis Trombone. What's up, Nathan? Uh, former UNT student, master's alumni. He says, what's your morning routine? Not specifically trombone. Um, I'm really bad in the morning. Morning is not my time. Uh, I've tried and tried and tried and tried to be a morning person, and I'm just not really a morning person. So, um, yeah. Uh, my morning routine now is a lot better than it used to be. My routine is to get up. Uh, oftentimes my dog will get, get me up. He needs to uh, eat. He's very vocal about his hunger. And uh, so... I get up and then I go to the gym and then I shower uh, for the last two or three years I've been doing intermittent fasting so I don't eat breakfast or lunch so uh, I just drink coffee and then from there from the coffee uh, jump in and ideally I would be doing something that's creative work right from the beginning of the day if I have my choice but uh, generally it's jump in uh, to the computer and do emails and try to get as much work as I can do in a half hour or an hour and then uh, that's it and then get on with the day from there but uh, that's what I do that's the best I can do most of the time um, but yeah morning is not my time so Nathan I do not have a very inspiring morning routine it's kind of get my butt out of bed and get into gear but I always for the last couple of years just I've always been making it a a habit to work out every morning, whether it's to run or whether it's to more recently do weight training and things like that. Um, but that's that's the morning routine. All right, and then another question from Richiro.f: How to get a consistent tone? So there's two parts, two things. You have to have a consistent sound concept. Number one. So if you have a great sound concept, you can then aim to make a great sound. So, and then you need to play long tones. So the answer to your, your, your question about sound or tone, play more long tones, play more long tones, play more long tones. Uh, there's a great quote from Roy Hargrove that I tell my students. 
that is, uh, you should try to play until the room lights up. Play the long tones until the room lights up, meaning we're focused on building that resonance of sound uh, and getting it really happening, getting that sound to be uh, nice and full. So how to get a consistent tone? Play long tones. And when you think you're done, play some more long tones. You know, I, when I was in college, I used to do long tones on a day where I didn't have anything else to do for four or five not four, four, four or five hours, I mean 40 or 50 minutes, you know, most of an hour doing just long tones, just trying to get it together and just trying to get, make it uh, make it all come together. So uh, that's that. Feel free to drop in questions down here on the live stream if you're here. Uh, we're going to keep going. There's so many things here this week. Let's see what, how much we can get through. This one's from Jordan Pavl- Pavlika. Uh, what's up? He was uh, at one point a member of the virtual studio, so thank you for being a member. Jordan, appreciate that. Um, says, love the new album. If you had to, an entire day to practice, how would you divide up your time? Ooh, I think sometimes when you give yourself that whole day to practice, you end up doing nothing. So first of all, I would probably want to segment it up and not practice all day. I don't know about you guys, but I can't practice all day. That's kind of a ridiculous um, idea but i did used to do that in college i you can ask uh you can ask uh sarah and she uh, will verify she knew that i would go on a saturday a lot of times uh to two eastman and then just like shed all day long um but to answer the question more specifically what's up luis carlos bla thanks for being here uh if i could have the whole day to practice how would i divide my time i would do long tones like I was just saying for like an hour I would then I would play the piano probably work on a ballad a jazz ballad Uh, then I would go back and work again on technique tonguing scales things like like a scale pattern do maybe a major scale workout or a minor scale workout or a mode workout maybe do it in a couple of keys then I would uh, probably take a break and then and then uh, after that let's see other things I would want to do would be to compose, so I might do an hour of composing, and then I would want to do an hour of like classical study. I want to play like some Rochus, some Arbins, things like that. Um, here's a question. Oh, a comment here from Nathan. Oh, Nathan, no, uh, Corey never got back. So uh, we're going to be on Monday at um, Long Beach. Uh, City College, so that's what we're doing there. That didn't work out this time, but thank you for the connection. means a lot. Much appreciated. Um, So after I would compose for a while and do my classical study, I would then want to just like play some tunes, maybe learn some tunes, maybe do some transcriptions. I mean, I just feel like when you do have a whole day, you end up just trying to fit everything in. Like you can see, I'm like, well, I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and I'll do this. Uh, And it's just not really realistic. So I think actually now that I'm talking through it and trying to come up with a better plan here, um, uh, I think that I would set some goals, like some specific things I was trying to accomplish, whether it was like I have all day, I'm going to go through my full warm-up routine, transcribe a solo and learn a tune or something like that, or I'm going to, and I'm also going to compose something. So that could be four bars, four minutes. It doesn't matter. So I would kind of maybe focus on just like the practice of practicing and like be more um, focused in that way rather than trying to come up with this whole laundry list of how I could practice all day. So Jordan, I don't know. I mean, I've 
I like to go in three chunks, whatever the chunks are. Fundamentals, classical, trombone, study, technique, study. That could be scale stuff and then jazz stuff. So three sessions of an hour to two hours. 90 minutes is a sweet spot for me. And um, that's what I would want to do. Uh, so sorry I can't give you an exact schedule, but if you uh, have some insight, uh, I think I'm sure people would love to hear it, so why don't you leave it in the comment down below, Jordan. Uh, here's a live question from BT Sully 82 He says, how do you prevent burnout? Um, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer this because I just go literally until I get burned out, really. I'm a kind of a go, 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 go person. And uh, I think that to prevent it, you have to have other stuff to do. It's been really good uh, to have, you know, some time outside of New York uh, while I've been teaching a lot in, in Texas um, and just to get some perspective, to get some ideas about other ways of life, walks of life. Um, to not burn out, I think you have to make sure you find the joy in the music that you're making, uh, making sure you're putting yourself in musical situations uh, that you can actually enjoy. You know, if you're always working and playing gigs for money and doing what everybody else wants, sometimes it's really difficult um, for you to actually do the things that you want to do. So uh, for me, uh, it's important to find that joy and make sure I'm finding time to make the music that I want to be making. Because it's easy to kind of get sidetracked and kind of get off onto some other tangent or uh, you're just obsessed with working. So I don't know, you know, so... Try not to get burned out. Find, find that joy. Keep that joy. That's what I would say. Find, listen to the records that inspire me. I had a great friend, Joe McDonough, uh, in college. He teaches at Temple now. Uh, and he, when I would get down, he'd be like, man, let's go listen to records. So we'd maybe go to his house and his apartment, and we'd listen to records, you know, and just, like, find that inspiration and talk about music with friends. They also get excited about it, you know. Um, anyway, so that's what I would say. That, that, that's how I would prevent burnout. Uh, here we go. Here's another question. It's back up here. I see one from Tito Contreras. Uh, hi, Nick. Why there are days that I feel so comfortable practicing and on other days I don't? Always finishing my routine, I could, I could down. Cheers from Chile. Well, what's up, Tito? I'm so glad you can be here. And thanks for asking a question. Um, I think everybody feels good and bad. I think you strive for more and more consistency over time. Um, I definitely don't have good chop days every day, but I just have decided pretty much that I don't care. Um, that's when I stopped caring about that, then I, it's freed me up so much. And I know you, it's like, yeah, some days it feels good, some days it feels bad, but I still need to play music at the level that I want to hold myself accountable to every single day. Uh, so I just say it doesn't, it doesn't matter, and I'm going to sound good whether it feels good or not. Uh, and that's another reason that it ties into equipment. It ties into everything, you know, just having that sound concept, going for the sound, going for the music, not worrying about being perfect, not worrying about, you know, the technical side, but just trying to find the joy in music making, you know, that's, that's really what I focus on. So um, everyone's going to have good days and bad days. So don't worry about that because it's just going to happen and it's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to everybody. All right. Beckett. PM says, how long would you say recording an album takes? Uh, well, the recording, for me, I like to do it in one day. 
and a day is probably 10 hours in the studio of that six hours are tracking probably um, but usually we have two three four rehearsals beforehand of you know two or three hours try to get a couple gigs in beforehand uh, and then mixing and mastering the way that I do it it takes about a day and a half uh, and then so a day and a half for mixing this is going really fast and this is for a jazz record you can spend a lot more time doing stuff if you want to be more specific if it's a pop record people spend weeks and weeks you know mixing and mastering and remixing and remastering and finding the perfect sound but what I mostly produce and what I'm putting out for myself and my artists and the label all that stuff is mostly acoustic jazz so for acoustic jazz I think you can go a lot faster because you want it to sound like how it sounds when you walk in the room and hear it played at least that's my approach to it so as natural of a sound as possible just making it sound balanced and and good in uh, so, representing everybody's sound as best as you can so uh, a day for tracking a day and a half for mixing and mastering then there's the rest of it the hiring out an artist and all this kind of stuff but uh, if you want to go really fast you could probably get it all done in a week if you wanted to uh, but I don't recommend that because you need months and months ahead of time to um, Get things properly promoted and all of that so feel free to drop a question here i got lots of them from this week so i'm going to um, keep going through those as uh, we progress here and again if you're joining us live on instagram i am also recording for youtube and you'll find those there on youtube in a couple of days but uh, always if you can join in uh, it's always great to get live questions so i'm going to keep going here let's see couple questions there's two questions here from barney.garcia.alexis he says how do you approach minimum mouthpiece pressure during practice and performance and then he says also the second question what is your preferred method of creating high register endurance uh, well these two questions are definitely interrelated um, I am a person that tries to make everything as easy as possible I don't necessarily think that uh, pressure is good pressure is bad tension is bad uh, I'm not a breathing gym person I, mean, I don't practice breathing like that I I go with something I heard Steve Davis tell me a long time ago you want to have a baby breath meaning you take a breath that's as natural as a baby would it goes down to and if you watch a baby breathe it goes down to their, their stomach and so that's what I try to do try to breathe down to my stomach and be relaxed make it seem easy make it sound easy uh, so no pressure as little pressure as possible um, try to make it look easy try to make it feel easy and then in talking about endurance uh, the way to have endurance in the upper register is to play in the upper register the way to build your upper register is to play in the upper register uh, I don't recommend exercises because exercises make you good at playing exercises high I recommend playing music in the upper register which would be um, maybe jazz ballads maybe it would be um, etudes or anything else but playing music not exercises people get obsessed like, I want to be able to hit this high note great but if you can't do it in context who cares so for me uh, one that I used to play for endurance was how insensitive that Joe Beam tune starts on a, a high A if you play it in D minor and it's got to be lyrical it's got to be smooth but it's in that upper register it's in that high at least on trombone like a above the staff and then I would say okay let's go do it up a half step play the whole melody or I might even just play it along with the Abersol then like that's like six or seven minutes and I'll just play the melody on on loop just to you know 
get the chops used to playing in the upper register for longer periods of time. So play with as relaxed an embouchure and relaxed an approach as possible. And then if you want to play in the upper register, get endurance in the upper register, play stuff in the upper register. I know it seems overly simple, but sometimes I think we get all tied up in all this like fanciness and trying to do something uh, out of the box, but really it's just the fundamental idea of playing an upper register is gonna get you most of the way there. Um, here's one from Fitzgiven, at Fitzgiven. What exactly should I work on to be better at tonguing? You should work on, if you're talking about single tonguing, you should work on saying ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. You should work on where the tongue is hitting inside of your mouth, meaning where does the t or the d happen in your mouth? It should happen where the tongue meets uh, the top of the teeth. Or, sorry, the gum, not the tongue. The gum in the top of the teeth. So, it's a ta -ta 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 -ta. so a lot of times what happens is people get their tongue kind of coming out their lips, coming out their chops. So that's if you're having like a fuzzy articulation or it sounds like that's usually because of that. You can be working on anything. There's so many different exercises you could be doing to have um, single tongue work. There's Clark studies. I like. I love Clark studies for uh, trumpet. You know, there's good. Something like that. Uh, just scales is cool. Uh, anything where you're actually focusing on playing with clean, accurate, consistent tonguing uh, is going to help you work on your tonguing. So number one, placement of the tongue. Two, thinking about a clean attack and uh, dedicating time to practicing articulation is going to uh, help you get better at, artic at articulating, get better at tonguing. So if you guys are here and you want to drop in a question, feel free to do so. Otherwise, I have lots of them from this week. I'm really grateful for all the great questions here. Nick Rolls Music says, what was your process for composing cast of characters? Uh, I don't think I have time to go totally into this right now, so I'm going to table that one, and uh, we'll do a, another episode. And anyways, we talked about this at length last week. All right, so we got a couple questions here. Daniel, Daniel Chandra, he says, how do you keep the melody in your head while you're improvising? This is a good one. Um, how do you keep you have to know the melody cold you have to and you have to associate the melody and the harmony together as one thing not separating oh this is the melody and then I solo no the song is the song that's how I approach it that's how I try to learn it try to do things where I'm playing the chords on the piano and singing the melody so that I learn them as an integrated thing the form the melody and the harmony all together make the song so I try not to separate them out and try, I used to I used to learn stuff from a real book and I used to try to memorize songs but I changed that a while back and uh, I, I think it's important to to do that I think it's important to learn those things as an, as an integrated unit so then when you hear any part of the harmony going by you associate the melody with it so some other exercises you can do to try to practice uh, keeping the melody in your head is to do like a Louis Armstrong style solo where you're just decorating the melody, trying to just keep that melody going in your head by playing it and then decorating around it, thinking about more like a theme and variations kind of vibe so that you're 
not just tied to the melody, but you're using it as the source for your improvisation. So if you learn them and get them joined together and get them inseparable, that's the form, the melody, and the harmony all together as one single unit as the song, I think you'll have less problems hearing the melody as you're improvising through. But if you're not referencing the melody at all when you're improvising, at least in your brain, it's going to be very difficult to have a, a, an improvisation that's tied to uh, the song. And what's the point of, of playing that song if you're not going to improvise on that song, at least to me? So Daniel also had another question. Uh, I, unfortunately, I got kind of cut off. But it says, often we're reading a set of new changes, and then it cuts off. It says, usually after I play that I can't think of any nice phrases. So I think he's asking a question about sight reading new tunes and like playing new tunes and how to interpret harmony. Well, I think that what you have to do is be able to recognize patterns in harmony when you're looking at them. And you have to practice sight reading uh, tunes. If my students are here or they're watching, uh, they're going to they're gonna tell you that I make them sight read almost every week a new tune and we play it regardless. There's all different styles, tempos, and types of harmony, and then we talk about the harmony. Why? So that when they go out into the world, they can look at a song and be able to make some judgments about what that song is going to be and how to improvise over it and make that a regular part of your practice. So things that can help with that. So th we're talking about sight reading, new tunes, new changes. Uh, learning the piano better so that you can have a good idea of what harmonies sound like before playing them. Um, learning more tunes to have more context about what harmony sounds like in different contexts. Um, and then just making it a practice to learn tunes and sight-read tunes and recognize the patterns that make up jazz. Two five ones, blues, rhythm changes, honeysuckle rose bridge. Oh, what does that mean? I'll let you guys look that up, honeysuckle rose bridge. Uh, rhythm changes bridge. Um, one six two five three six two three six two five one four three six two five one modes of the major modes of minor all this kind of stuff I know it sounds like I'm just listing off everything from a theory textbook but every little bit that you learn is going to help you to uh, you know take it to the next level and be able to really be um, a great improviser and a great sight reader of tunes so thank you Daniel for the questions hopefully that uh, got got you right to it. Man, there's some really other good ones that I don't want to, like, short change here. So I'm going to leave them for another time. I'm going to compile and we'll come back to come back to it again. But if you're here and you want to ask a question, feel free to. Always glad to take live questions in these Q&As. Um, here's one from Jazzboy2020, a frequent contributor. He asked a question last week as well. Uh, so Jazzboy2020, uh, he says, I'm a jazz trombone player myself, and I want to write my own composition. Where would I start? Uh, well, uh, my pro my process has changed over the years. I used to write harmony first and just find like some slick thing. But if you can't even get to that point yet, what I say to my students and have my students do is start to write melodies over changes that we're already familiar with. So, meaning like I'm going to write this in the style of, or I'm going to write this so it sounds like, a blues, or I'm going to write this so it sounds like a rhythm changes, or I'm going to write this and try to make it sound like Horace Silver, or I'm going to try to write this sound like J.J. Johnson. I'm going to try to write this and make it sound like a songbook standard. So we go through kind of just a series of compositions, 
trying to write something, organize your thoughts, your improvisational ideas out of time, which is composition in my mind. You're improvising slowly, so you have the time to revise and review. Um, so I would say, if you've never written a tune before, let's write a blues. Let's write a blues that's like things that ain't what they used to be, like like a AAB kind of blues. There's two phrases that are the same and one that's different. Or even simpler, you could do something that's more like uh, Ellington's uh, C Jam Blues, where it's the same phrase five times, four times, or three times. Oh my goodness, I can't speak. Three times, you know. Buda, 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 all that. So we can come up with a riff blues, and then we might write a jazz blues. Um, so I did put something together about this once. I think it's still live. A, a little composition mini course. I think it's up in the Teachable Studio where the um, virtual studio is too. Uh, so I think uh, if you're interested in that, there's just like a sequence of compositions that you can go through that will allow you to start to develop your compositional voice in addition to your improvisational voice. Um, so you can check that out if you want. Otherwise, just write a rhythm changes, write a, or write a blues, those different types of blues, riff blues, jazz blues, bird blues, and then maybe go write a, um, a rhythm changes and then try to write a tune that sounds like a standard like that sounds like all the things you are that sounds like a cole porter tune something like that um something like that that's how i would start and then i would start trying to write down my own melodic ideas from there but uh starting in the place where you have a framework can be really helpful um but if you can uh, i'll cut to the chase here if you can uh Focus on the melody. The melody is always going to be the thing that drives the, a successful composition. Anytime that I've had a tune that I felt was successful, it's because I wrote the melody first. Um, so maybe another time we can delve more into a composition, just like those, some of those other questions. Uh, but I see a live question here, and I want to get to that one. This is one's from Matt Cooper. Thanks for asking a question, Matt. It says, which non-trombone players have you transcribed? Oh, plenty. Uh, let's see. Uh, Chick Corea, Michael Brecker. John Coltrane, Lee Morgan, Clifford Brown, a bunch, um, Pat Metheny, these are the ones that are coming quickly, Joshua Redman, uh, Freddie, Benny Golson, um, Bird, obviously Bird, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, 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 have I ever transcribed a bass solo? Yeah, Ron Carter. Based, some bass stuff. Uh, Gary Burton, uh, Joe Locke on Vibes. Um, who else? Non trombonist. There was a bunch in, when I was at Eastman. I had a bunch of trumpet players. Clay Jenkins was a trumpet player for a uh, teacher at Eastman. Uh, okay, Matt Cooper said, oh, Herbie Hancock. That's another one. Matt, I'll follow up on his question. He says, how do you go about transcribing harmony players on trombone? Oh, well, I mean, most of the time they're playing a single note melody of some kind. So I just pick a note to play. I just pick which note to play, which whatever one sounds like the melody to me or sounds like the highest note. Or um, sometimes you got to adjust, you know. I don't kind of make it an all or nothing thing. And even sometimes they play all this crazy chord stuff and you can't transcribe it all. I can't play it all on trombone, but I transcribe what I can from it and take what I can, you know. It's never going to be everything. Uh, I wish it was everything, but that's just not how it goes. So they, obviously it's a chordal instrument. So 
Uh, and certain things are super awkward. You know, guitar plays lots of fourths and fifths sometimes really fast, and it's really hard to do. Saxophones play too many notes sometimes to play on trombone. But I take what I can, you know. Uh, this was, be you know, beautiful thing, you know, and I think brings it kind of full circle was um, when I first met Curtis Fuller, the first time he came to Juilliard, he came and did a trombone master class, and, what it, and he wanted to work on John Coltrane solo on moment's notice and that's what we did for like whatever however long like an hour or two hours and we worked on moment's notice with Clifford or with Clifford with Curtis so inspiring man you just like back to that thing he tried to play 50 years ago 60 years ago and still working on it um, so yeah transcribe non-chord players or non-trombone players all the time and nowadays like I'm just kind of transcribing without transcribing you know Meaning, like, you start to hear things, and the more knowledge you have, the more stuff you can recognize orally, the more stuff you can start to, like, pick up along the way without having to necessarily always uh, sit down and, like, transcribe a whole solo. So that's, like, more of what I've been doing is uh, less less whole solos, more just, like, little p bits and pieces. Um, but, yeah, good question. Uh, I should go and transcribe more stuff. I, there's not a lot of time to do that these days, but... I love thinking about stuff that my friend Lucas Pino would play. You might try to do one of these next week with Lucas. Uh, ask him some questions because he's a pretty deep, deep thinker, I think. And uh, he's got some interesting ways of thinking about transcribing, too. Uh, oh, yeah, Stan Getz. I've transcribed Stan Getz. I, I don't know why. I was thinking about Lucas. He likes Stan Getz. Oh, and him and I, we Jerry Mulligan. We were talking about Jerry Mulligan and Paul Desmond. We play some tunes by Jerry sometimes when we play together um, yeah anyway I'm just listing off names now so I'm going to go on to the next question this is from CVH Trombone one of my favorite people Chris Van Hoff Chris is a tr trombone professor at Ball State University he actually ran the whole or hosted rather the ITF the International Trombone Festival last year at Ball State uh, him and I go all the way back to Eastman and he has been uh, a great friend and supporter of me and my music from the day that we met and he first time we met he came out to one of my gigs when he first moved to rochester to and i still remember chris if you see this i still remember you came to our gig uh, it was my fusion band at the time we were playing uh in rochester at a thing called the park avenue festival and he came up and wanted to say hello uh shout out to all the rochester people that know what the park avenue festival is but um Anyway, so CV, CVH, he's super inspiring. We played in a brass band together. We played lots of gigs, had lo have done lots of silly things together. Anyway, he just said, here, here's his question. He says, how, comma, Nick, question mark, just how do you stay on top of so many projects? Um, that's a good question. I have, I guess, a lot of big dreams, I suppose, and I don't want to waste any time. I don't want to waste any time trying to get to it. And uh, I know not one of, not, not any one of the things that I'm working on is going to get me all the way to the goals that I have. Uh, so I have to be doing a lot of stuff all the time. There's just no choice in my mind. Um, I just, I want to build something that's going to last beyond my lifetime. You know, I want to build something that leaves a cultural impact within the jazz community and the trombone community. And, um, I don't know. That's just something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid was whatever I decided to pursue is pursue it at the highest possible level. And, you know, 
I don't know. So I, that's what drives me. It's to, I want to leave something behind after I'm, I'm gone from here. So um, I, that and then my planner. <laughs> I have a planner and Google Calendar, and I just I thrive on being busy. That's another thing that I just, that's something that is just ingrained in me. It does not bother me to be busy. I enjoy it and I love it and uh, it makes me feel on fire, you know, like I feel fired up when I'm like, I got to go here, I got to do this, boom, 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 doing all that stuff and staying on top of everything and things feel like they're moving in a trajectory that like really makes me excited and sitting around doesn't, you know. Um, So people that know me know that that's that's the truth, but I try to do as much as I can because I don't want to regret anything later. That's kind of it. I want to. I want to get it all out there. I don't want to uh, wish I had, you know. And I think people can hopefully relate to that. They don't want to wish that I had done it later on in life. All right, we're going to do one more question here today, and then I'm going to have to put the rest of these on hold. Uh, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I have to go do Uncle Duty here in a second. My brother uh, bought a house and has two little kids, and I haven't seen them in a long time so I'm about to head over there but I wanted to do this live stream uh, before it got away from me I committed at the beginning of the year to doing one uh, live stream per week and I think I've kept up with it maybe I missed one week but I'm doing the best I can that's what I have to say that's how I do so many projects is I don't let it bother me if I miss one week and I just keep on cruising so here's the last question I think very relevant for a lot of people that are working musicians or college musicians he says this is from Sam underscore Demov. He says, did you play wedding gigs a lot before you only taking creative gigs? If so, how did you break out of it? And I'm assuming break out of it, he means um, how did you break out of playing wedding gigs? Well, uh, I got a teaching gig. That's how I stopped playing wedding gigs. I was playing wedding gigs up until the, and even last year when I would uh, sometimes be back in New York, I would play a wedding gig here or there. Um, it's just a, you know, that's just a solid source of income as a player to do private events, whether they're weddings or other events, parties. Um, it's just part of it. You, But how did I break out of it? I would say that, you know, at a certain point, you just have to decide that you're not going to do that anymore. Uh, you have to find a way to not and find a way to not by having alternative income sources or knowing that you can live without that particular piece of income, uh, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I just see Daniel just logged on. Daniel, we answered your questions, uh, but you missed them by about five minutes. So uh, you'll have to go back and watch the replay. But, um, uh, yeah, wedding gigs. So I've just recently, I haven't done them. I haven't done one in probably maybe a year or two. It really hasn't been that long. But um, uh, I don't know. I kind of go in and out of different scenes doing different kind of wedding gigs over the over the years. So I never got too burned out on one thing or another i had a long stretch of doing like hasidic weddings and a stretch of doing american weddings and a stretch of doing like no weddings you know so i think to get out of whatever system i guess of gigs you're in or like things that you feel like you're tied to you have to find an alternative like it's not going to just appear out of nowhere you have to go and create that thing you know you have to go and create that opportunity um you know, I've always also taught. I've been, this is, I'm on my uh, second, I guess, teaching position at UNT. And um, so that appealed to me more, uh, doing that 
teaching and connecting with students and talking about music rather than playing uh, music for people uh, to dance to. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not. It's just what I decided to do for now. You know, uh, is that that's more important to me, and I wanted to have the freedom to compose and write music and put out records and do my music. So um, there's always a trade-off. You know, always a trade-off. So don't just quit all your wedding gigs. I would not recommend it. Uh, if you need the money and if you're you know making your career off that you'd be surprised i'm always surprised to see certain people on on certain gigs and so i don't put anything down don't think it's good or bad it just is you know a wedding a gig is a gig and uh, you're making money playing music and you know i used to take that for granted and i still do probably a little bit but you're making money playing your horn you're making money playing hopefully some jazz if you're a jazz musician but uh if somebody called for a wedding gig, I might say yes. So, Sam, uh, I don't know if I've totally broken out of it or not. Uh, I think I'll probably come around again full circle. But, uh, wow, so many amazing questions. I'm going to have to do a part two of this week's questions. Maybe I can get back to it tomorrow or the next day. Uh, but there's a lot. There was a bunch more really great questions, including a really long one that I want to do uh, from Augustus Bradbury. So, Augustus, if you're watching this, I am going to address your question. It was a really, really great, thoughtful question. Uh, we're going to get to it. But i got to run. Uh, tomorrow night, Saturday, March 7th, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, the Nash. And then we're headed west. We're going to California, Blue Whale, Palm Springs, Denver. Uh, so if you're in any of those places, please come say hello. Thanks for listening to the new record. Cast of Characters has been out just a week and has gotten uh, way more streams than any other record that I've put out. So please share, share, share. And I uh, appreciate you all being here. And we will see you next time.